Welcome to the International Schools Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Taylor. And I'm your co-host, John Micton. Join us every two weeks for conversations with international school leaders, educators, and innovators who are working and engaging in the world of international school education. And finally, just to say a huge thanks to our valued partner, Faria Education Group. We'll jump back in later in the podcast to give you some more information about Faria Education Group. Okay, welcome to the podcast. Um, I'm Dan Taylor. I'm here, as always, with John Micton. And today we have Wolfgang uh, Soldner. Soldner, I would say the name wrong, I think. Um, Who's second time, second time guest. The first time was in Bet in a very um, crowded press area. So welcome to the podcast. Uh, Wolfgang and John, how are you both doing? Fantastic. Thanks for having us on. Uh, and for being uh, with John, it's, uh, it's, it's quite a privilege to have him so close by there now. That's uh, yeah. Well, you're both working in the same school, the same campus, but different buildings, as I've just discovered. Yeah, that's right. And now we'd like to say a few words from our valued partner and sponsor, Faria Education Group. Faria Education Group has been with you through thick and thin, helping international schools minimize headaches and easing transitions. Whether through paperless admissions with Open Apply, curriculum first learning with Manage Back, or school to home management with Schools Buddy, Faria has been your partner. What's more, Faria has been expanding with additional services, including professional development for international school educators. Mini PD is a professional learning platform by practitioners for practitioners, with a global community of learners and coaches. Mini-PD makes the learning experience more personal, flexible, and equitable. Looking for a PD solution for your school or something for yourself? Sign up for individualized coaching and enjoy a 10% discount using the code ISPODCAST. Head over to app.minipd.com. That's app.minipd.com to book your personal learning coach today. Mini PD embracing the learner in every educator. Yeah, fantastic. So, um, yeah, so this is um, probably one of the last chats we'll have, John. I'm off to Asia in two weeks, which should be great for three months to visit a lot of different things. I'm going to be at Aircos, I'm going to be at Bet Asia, I'm going to be at um, Edutech in Singapore, plus meeting the team in the Philippines, Thailand, Hong Aren't Kong. Aren't you going to Cambodia too? Go to Cambodia. I'm on the British uh, Department of International Trade uh, trip uh, with the British Educational Suppliers Association, which I managed to get on, which should be really awesome. cool. That should be really interesting. Just yeah. kind of in that context. And, you know, Cambodia has such a rich and nuanced history. So it'll be interesting to see where they are, especially with tech. Because I yeah, remember I, I, when I yeah, lived exactly. in Africa, uh, you know, the internet wasn't working, but when mobile phones came, suddenly Africa did a big jump that I think a lot of European countries hadn't to mobile. And, you know, mobile became so, uh, it permeated throughout the whole African continent just for, you know, a, a low cost, very powerful tool to do money transfers and uh, share information. So it'll be interesting what's in Cambodia. I heard, yeah, Kenya's got a um, a direct internet connection to to a UAE, and it's like super fast connection, and it's really turbocharged things in Kenya right now. That's yeah. probably a lot better than Germany, who was stuck on ADSL for uh, for the longest time ever. 
Yeah, yeah a lot of the African countries have really gotten into tech and coding. Uh, Nigeria and South Africa. There's a lot of interesting things happening out mm -hmm. of African countries in that field that I think they don't get the due coverage or people aren't amplifying the amazing things that are happening there. Yeah, definitely. Cool, guys. So um, Wolfgang suggested an interesting topic um, about core systems and um, why they get chosen, et cetera. Uh, what are the reasons? And then also, I, I think an interesting follow-up is about what happens when you come into a school and you inherit systems, like what, what to do about it, you know? Because it's usually, you know, a bit of a, like a, a bit of a hodgepodge and it builds over time. And I think sometimes things get added on and not taken away. So do you want to start off? We'll talk about the core systems. I know Wolfgang or John, you want to kick off? Like, what about, you know, um, Wolfgang, you mentioned, like, why don't you start? You mentioned your point about core systems, how they often get chosen for the wrong reasons. What, what do you mean by that? Well, yeah, I mean, I think um, but between all of us, we've encountered a lot of sort of the, the, the core systems being student information systems or, or curriculum management systems or learning management systems. And, and looking around what's being used at international schools, it seems that, you know, with time, it's nearly like like the curriculum kind of thing. It's, it's, it's the sort of um, merry-go-round of you start off with something, you switch it off with something that's newer looking, fancier, and eventually um, sort of go all full circle and and sometimes end, end back at where you started with with some of these systems. Moodle being one of these great examples. I'm having lots of conversations at this school here about Moodle. And, and, and for so many years, that was the go-to platform being, you know, open source and all of this. And, and then it fell out of popularity for a lot of schools because these fancier new solutions came in. And a lot of schools that I know are now back at exploring Moodle and, uh, and, and really seeing the benefits of some of the open access and the customizer, customization um, ability that you have with, with, with the platform. And it just made me wonder in the last couple of years of how are these things chosen? And there's not, not a single, um, I don't think, answer of, a, of how to do it positively, but for, for many reasons, often it's either to do with budgets. So you, you go for companies that, that sort of undercut or are the cheapest, um, or it's because somebody's promising you an integration with another system that you currently have, and that may or may not be possible. I've, I've, I've been at quite a few schools where a company's come in with their pitch and their initial um, whole outlining and has promised these you know seamless integration solutions or uh, options and and that hasn't worked out and i think it's this this notion and i'm not sure whether whether we all agree on this but i've kind of come to the conclusion this disillusion that um a, a school or an organization has to have a single system to do all of it um i think i've come to the conclusion that that doesn't exist and and with that comes then the whole uh concept of well if it doesn't exist then what's the next best step and how do we look at systems to to do all the different things that schools need finance hr admissions curriculum academics and so on and so forth yeah i i think i agree with you that this one magic bullet for everything is what everybody's looking for and some companies really kind of frame the conversation around that that they are the one-stop shop but mm -hmm. you know it's so complicated because schools, many of schools are built around personalities. So it's 
the personalities that build the systems. It's not the systems that build the personalities. And I think in the business world, there's far more a systems thinking approach, which is not as flexible maybe and not as nuanced or user friendly, but it's about, you know, how are we efficiently going to keep our costs down and make sure that everybody has access? And at schools, one of the challenges I've always faced is that you often inherit a system based on somebody's like or their skill set. And then there's a lot of, you know, creative tension around it saying, well, this doesn't work anymore. We want something else. So it's, I think it's one of the hardest things for an IT director is to come into a school where you inherit systems that are working for some people, but maybe the users don't feel that it's working. And then trying to go through that whole process of changing, that change management and getting buy-in, I, I find it really, really challenging. Well, let's, John, let's jump to that in a second. I think that's a great second point about the when you inherit systems, what to do. But um, I think to do, I, w- I want to say Wolfgang's point because I kind of half agree and half disagree. I mean, first point is I'm glad I'm a former Moodle admin, so I'm delighted to know that Moodle's making a comeback. That means I can always be in gainful employment. If I ever need, if I ever short of money, I can become a Moodle. I had no idea Moodle was, I just heard it was dying a slow death. So that's fascinating news to me. Dan, um, actually, a lot of U.S. universities' uh, systems, like state systems and in the U.K., have uh, adopted Moodle. Moodle's really, I think for, you know, a lot of companies, Moodle's a good proposition because it's open source and there's so many people that you can tap into. I think yeah, you can exactly. actually get a lot done. You can, yeah. definitely. You can. Um, yeah, my point about what Wolfgang said about no system that does everything, that's definitely, of course, it's true. But I think as well, like, You've always got to think about, okay, if, if let's say not one system, but let's say a couple of systems, let's say it's going to do 80%. It's like the 80 20 rule. Is it worth then having another five systems to do the other 20%, you know, which might be confusing? Or do you try to make do with what you can have as much as possible so as not to make it a nightmare for everyone to run? Do you know what I mean? I think it's definitely, you need to have a lot of systems, but I think you've always got to balance that against giving people too much. Yeah, and I think I think that's sort of, you know, because your initial point or my my point about this conversation was how do you choose? And I think that's where it starts. It's the system, as John said, the system can't drive the personality, the personality drives the system. But actually, a, a step further is your outcomes and needs as an organization, whether it's a school or an organization have to drive the the the, the choice of system or systems. And I think we're, we're at schools, we are often not good enough at eliciting and, and, and actually really getting to the point of what it is that we want out of a system. And that's why when, when we approach or, or companies approach us, the outcome often isn't quite the, the one that was desirable or, or, or wished for because the companies don't know necessarily, they, 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 don't find, or they don't find the time to explore the pain points of a school and where the school is at because that's just not their forte. They, they, they usually don't have educators um, doing the selling and, and, and the initial uh, rollout. Yeah. And we as educators don't spend enough time looking at the business requirements. And when I say business, I also mean the teaching and learning, of course, pr- primarily. But also, what are the actual outcomes? What are the needs that we have from a system? And then, it, then you're right, the 80-20 rule absolutely applies because if you can elicit, write down, and be sure about your 80% of needs, then the 20% become more, um, you know, nice to haves or, or great if it has it, you know, those kind of like need to have, nice to have, fantastic as an as a add-on maybe sometime down the line. 
but I think that's where we're where we're not particularly good at um, eliciting that and and having then with that a, a grassroots approach where, where teachers are part of that as well to say these are the kind of things because they they've all experienced these systems as well right they're usually the ones that actually suffer the most the the ones in the classroom when these systems get rolled out so they have a pretty good idea maybe not from a technical point of view but from an actual practice practitioner's point of view how does how does a good system look like and what should it do from their perspective and i think also you know if you think of i'm just thinking of the big three veracross power school and isems i mean their bread and butter is schools but the often the issue so they do have kind of an understanding of schools but i think so often schools don't take on the systems thinking approach where they're very you know systematic about what are the needs what are the disadvantages and advantages and that requires a lot of discipline and thorough work and i think sometimes educators are, you know no disrespect i'm an educator i understand sometimes that is not something that people get excited about and it requires you to get very granular and really do your uh, work, you know, do an RFEP, you know, uh, really, you know, understand what what do you want? What, like, as you said, Wolfgang, what are the musts, you know, nice to have and fantastic. I think that discipline and that workflow is very difficult, especially when you're in the school day and you're a principal and you've got nine billion other things. And so often IT departments are, you know, given that task. But then they still need the stamp of approval from the principals and the director. And student information systems are not a sexy conversation. And people yeah. just roll their eyes. But it's so important to have the systems approach. And I think that's what often generates that disconnect is that that thoroughness in the systems approach and adopting things doesn't take place. And then there's some holes and that's where you get these frustrations or missed opportunities or expectations that are not met. Yeah, it's interesting because um, I've been doing IT implementations for almost 30 years, I guess, because I was, I was a you know consultant at Deloitte for a long time doing big, big IT projects, you know, across multiple countries and stuff. And it's interesting, I remember something, I, um, when I was at university, I studied engineering, and one of the lectures was about, um, they went through a different, like, most engineers fell into a certain psych, uh, psychological type. And I don't, I don't remember the detail, but it was essentially fear of failure. It wasn't about, you didn't have a t psychology of what a great opportunity things are. It's like, I don't want to screw up and get blamed for something. And I, and I see, I think that's an absolute especially in schools, like, but I've seen it 100% in businesses when you're choosing systems. It's all about, okay, what's the, what's the least chance of being a huge mess up? Because if, you, if you're implementing a big system, it's like a big project and it can either, it can reflect badly on you if it doesn't go well. So do you think that's a lot of the psychology that drives decisions and is not, you know, having it something that doesn't mess up and make you look bad? Yeah, I think, well, I think it's, it's a multitude of things. I, I, and unfortunately, there's also a little bit of a cynic in me that says one, one of the sort of um, stamp of approvals for, a, for an up-and-coming IT director is the implementation of a major system. Yeah. And, uh, and, and sometimes I think that adds to, to the frustration of when systems get rolled out that, that you're in a school and, you know, the here we go again kind of philosophy yeah. Um, of, of that, but I but I totally agree with you. I think that that fear of failure and then picking the the, the must-haves as the reasoning again to choose a system, and really sometimes probably because of that, overlooking some of the um, need-to-haves but not must-haves 
um, sometimes get, that's what maybe um, leads to, to, to choosing systems that don't quite fit into the ecosystem of a school or the personalities that are there. Um, yeah. and, and, and as John says, I, I really like that. I've never really brought that into the conversation as directly as that, but that notion of personality, uh, we all know that schools and communities have their own personality, but actually tying that into choosing a system is a is is a must yeah i mean i mean you you each school has a different approach to how how they approach technology how willing they are to try things out and with that then the choice of system becomes person should be personality driven for sure yeah that was a great point you said about when people come into a job of an it director and actually this is the same exactly the same in, in industry as well they want to put their stamp on something they want to do an implementation but the problem with international schools is typically people do a four-year four years as a school, three to three, four, five years. So then it's like there's constant things coming in, you know. Yeah. Uh, I, I know I know. talking to John, I remember John was always very cautious about bringing new things in, very you know, like, let me get the live land and see, is it, you know, is it necessary? Yeah, I think that's a good point, Dan. And I think anybody in a leadership position wants to have a stamp. You have to make your mark. I mean, any politician that comes into power. And I think, you know, and for an IT director, the systems, you know, you want to, if you can move everybody to Google or Microsoft in one shot, that can be a very powerful stamp and also can be very impactful. Uh, You know, it can change a school, but that process of doing it, really, you need a team behind you. You have to be very transparent in telling people, You know, I think often with change, we kind of, you know, say all the good things that are happening, but we need to also explain that this is a mourning process. This is like a funeral. You're going to lose things. There are going to be things that are going to be very painful and just be upfront as much as possible because so often people aren't. And then people are like, well, hold on. I thought this and you're like, well, yes, but, you know, so I think that is really challenging is the actual uh, as you said, Dan, the implementation, what are the you know conversations that you have with the different stakeholders? How do you present yourself? How much information is too much information? How much is not enough information? It is a challenge. And there are many books written about this. Mm. And I think, you know, for IT directors, and I think Wolfgang can attest to that, that's often a point of conversation is like, okay, I have to adopt a new system. What, you know, and you read, the first thing is you reach out to your PLN is like, what did you do? You know, how did it work? And the problem is what works in one school doesn't work in another because every school is so different in its cu- culture and attitudes towards these things. That's, that's, I've actually got this point written down. That's a really good point, what you just said about looking, reaching out to your PLM, because I think, well, y- you can see, look at the empirical evidence, like schools look at whatever schools are doing. And, and, and that's, again, you know, s- to gives them a bit of security. Like if you look at, say, Veracross, Veracross is very big in international schools, you know, also some U.S. private schools, but it's not really big otherwise. Like there's no reason it couldn't be big in other schools. It's just a case of they've got a network and, and all the IT directors in international schools speak to each other. You know, like you, you mentioned power school, ISAMs and, and Veracross, like, you know, there's plenty of other SISs that are just as good, but they are not used widely. So people tend to use the ones I think that everyone else is using. Again, probably to give them some security, give themselves some security. Absolutely. Well, but also that, that's also true. Yeah, but also the PLN um, aspect, right? I mean, I think it's not just the fact that you it, that you hear that it's a good system. It's the fact that you've got a whole network of people you can reach yeah, out to exactly. and say, well, what did you do? How did you do it? And so that, that, that support structure 
is amazing. But going back to, to a point, John, about you, I mean, my wife's just recently taken up um, sort of, you know, self-employment or, or founded a company in, in IT consultancy specifically in system implementations. And I now get like through her this insight into not just what I've experienced, but also how other schools approach it. And, and exactly what you said, John, is like certain stakeholders, key stakeholders, not having been consulted properly or not part of the process because they're not deemed to be um, important now. But then seeing also that further down that roadmap, when initially the system, let's say Veracross was introduced, and then maybe two years later, finance, the finance module suddenly purchased, well, they weren't part of the initial process two years ago. So suddenly they're now part of a system that they have to be part of and they never had an input into what their needs were or what 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 the system has to do for them. Um, and so that's often also the case is that these big systems get implemented in in, in sort of a very narrow view um, or, or, or approach where you really only look at maybe your most important things, which is the teaching and learning aspect, so academics and, and grade book and, and reporting and those kind of things, and then realize, well, actually, this is a much more powerful system. We should do our health module there as well with our nurses, and we should do our learning support, and we should do all of our, our you know, delicate and, and highly sensitive information. And then far too late do you come down or, or, or come up against these sort of issues then where maybe say well these things don't really talk well to each other or they don't really integrate well or they're clunky to use or that part of the system really doesn't work well and and yeah i mean too often have i been in schools where that then becomes the problem and potentially the driver for then maybe with a change of it director for somebody to just cease that moment and go well why don't we just change the whole thing yeah. um and, and, and in that case, the scenario that you described, I've been in situations where you adopt a system and then you're not even aware in isolation. The business office is on its own kind of investigation and they go and adopt something and suddenly you're like, oh, OK, Th that is, you know, where there's not clear communications. And, and I think that's where, uh, you know, I teach the principal training course and we do a whole day on systems. And I really explained to, you know, the, the, uh, the participants how critical these student information systems. And even though you're a pedagogue as a principal or director, you really have to get your skin underneath that. And I always recommend Peter Senge's book, The Fifth Discipline, which is the Bible on systems thinking. And, and you know, a lot of them come with these stories because we do case stories, horror stories, you know, where they thought they had something or they were partly involved and they just thought, well, I'll give it to my IT department. And, you know, the IT department in their good heart and with good intent, but because there's some missing pieces and stakeholders, suddenly it turns out, that, yeah. I, I don't really, I think, you know, there are a few success stories out there, uh, but I think that is something that all IT directors really uh, find challenging. And I think they their success is leveraged by accessing the professional learning network and really leaning on people. And I do that constantly. I mean, that's the only way because so often you're quite isolated. When you adopt one of these systems, it's you and your technicians and your database guy. It might be four or five people. In some schools, it's one person. So who do you turn to? Mm. And so the PLN just becomes so critical. And, and I cannot thank shared or said, listen, I have a guy here, he can help you, or we did reports this way, here's a code, or here's sure. something. And and that is a lifeline. And I think that's what's so important is really what? understanding that. 
Absolutely. I mean, Brian Lockwood and I run the, the Tech Director Forum now. I know that you've been part of it far longer than I have, but I mean, we, we do the Tech Talk Thursdays yes. now. Dan, Dan and I were part of that just earlier today yeah, and talking about, you know, redundancy and how do you get over or, or what, what can you possibly do when you've got, for example, a singular person whose job and knowledge is data entry, let's say for admissions, and that person falls sick and you just don't have, and, and, or just even for one day and suddenly a new student arrives and they haven't been inputted and the student arrives in class in front of the teacher and they're not in any system, they can't log in. So they're basically, um, you know, mute and, and lame at that moment uh, in, their, in their engagement with school systems. And, and that's, that's kind of where talking about it in a PLN, PLC kind of envi environment really makes you think in your own situation, well, what would I do? You know, even if you don't have that problem, but just listening to it. And then if you do have that problem, you know, somebody has mentioned it before, you can go back to them and ask them for advice. Yeah. I think you bring up a good point, uh, Wolfgang, is this idea that often in schools, there's a small group of people that are trained in the system, often office staff, maybe some IT people, maybe digital learning coaches, but there's so few. And when one is gone, then that knowledge is gone. And yeah. it, it's, you know, and that's why I know in my own experience i've always had a consultant i've always find a consultant that's an expert in the system that i can call and i've done that with uh different systems is just say listen i'm going to bank this person i'm going to get them on a contract so when that key person in the office is not there i can quickly turn to them and they can jump in because i think so often the resources you have to do this implementation are minimal often it's very few people and, you know, the company does their 190 day implementation, then they're gone. Every time you yeah. call them, they often start asking you for money. Yeah. And then, you know, your CEO says, I thought the system worked. Why are we spending more money? You know? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, That's interesting. I think it's um, what you mentioned about the redundancy. I mean, if you, John, if you remember the first ever Google event we ran in Prague, in fact, the first ever European Google event for education there's a friend of mine oh, stefan wow. stefan lacker came across he was a That's he's right. from google um really senior guy i mean i've, I've when i was a co it contractor i worked for him on multiple projects like he's, he's run like you know multi you know maybe even 100 million you know projects and stuff and if you remember he gave we had a talk with the the, head, the directors of all the CISA schools at lunchtime and he said that an interesting point that in his like whatever how many years of, of doing this like the the mac the, the main reason any it implementation failed was lack of training so there was always lack of training that was the the key factor above, above anything else of getting people people involved i think it, it's really important you've got to make sure and you not just train people like you said redundancy you've got to, more than one person's got to know everything as well and that training point is so important and so often you know there's just not the time and you know i think often it's also the season when do you do this yeah. do you do this at the beginning of the year or spring so dan you know we migrated to uh google workspace in those days it was called education but i remember you were instrumental and we decided to do it in may and everybody's like, why are you doing it in May? Because you don't want to start the new school year with a new system. We were like, at least yeah. in May, people can, you know, it's the end of the year. There's a little more gap. And I think that worked really well because then in the fall, Definitely. everything was up and running. But, you know, if you try to, you know, I know some schools, they do their whole system over the summer because nobody's there. Then people walk in and they're like, what is a system? What yeah, is this? Yeah, that's you know? the worst way. And, yeah, I agree. Know, you're fighting for time of peace during orientation week where 
curriculum people are taking it. Yeah. So I think the season also can be really critical. Yeah. Plus, no, plus as an IT director, you want to get a bit of a break in the summer. And you just like, that's the one way to like stress yourself out completely is a, a big implementation of the summer, knowing everyone's coming back, not having seen the system. I can't even. Yeah, imagine. yeah, yeah. Absolutely. You're so true that a well being yeah. point's a good one, Dan. Sorry, Wolfgang, I interrupted you. No, 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 no. No, I was just agreeing with, with, with this. And I think that, that that's actually a, quite a unique position I found myself in moving to, to Ecolant this, this time around because um, I came from the industry, as you know, having the opportunity to start in May in this case, you know, like just like you said, not, not that I'm the system, but, uh, but having that opportunity also to come in at the, at the tail end of a year, not at the beginning of the year, and then starting the year in a place where not everything is brand new. So I can fully relate to what you're saying, John, about that feeling with systems is the same as we have, of course, starting, as you just recently did, starting at a new school um, where you just have to, you know, find your way around the buildings, let alone systems. So, so to get all information about systems, it's just overwhelming. Um, so, yeah, we definitely have to think about which season, which time of the year and how, how to roll out those systems. Definitely. Well, look, guys, I think that's um, probably a good place to finish. Now, John, you've, you've got to rush off to, uh, to another meeting. And um, it's been great. I think we'll release this as a, as a bonus episode. It's been, it was a really great kind of concise topic to talk about. So thanks a lot, yes. Wolfgang, for bringing it up. Yeah, Wolfgang, thank you. No, it's it's one that I think people would, what would be interesting is maybe getting a panel of uh, directors together and different people that have had different experiences, because I wonder if there's some common threads or there's some people that have found the magic bullet, you know, there's no yeah. doubt if you have a lot of money. Uh, and you can really kind of stack your your implementation with consultancy hours and even bringing people on site. That is something that is, you know, I'm all for virtual, but nothing's like having the student information system expert on site for a week or two, which is extremely expensive. But I think so often, you know, time zones are different. So that's something yeah. that I definitely have learned is get them physically on campus as you do this. Yeah, great point. Great point. Thanks, Wolfgang. Thanks, John. And uh, lovely seeing you. everybody. And uh, yeah, have a good evening, Dan. Have a wonderful trip. Let's yes. connect before you go, just to say hi. And uh, can't Sounds wait good. to hear about uh, your travels in Asia. Looking forward to it. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Safe travels. Bye -bye. See you, Wolfgang. See you. Bye.